I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On, the true crime podcast review that digs into true crime pop culture. And this week, we'll talk about Wondery's new true crime podcast hit, Over My Dead Body. We'll also offer our final thoughts on the finale of True Detective Season 3. Joining me to get those things done, and maybe a little bit more, is my real-life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist, Kevin Flynn. Good evening, Kevin. I was just noticing how clean the floors are here in <laughs> Studio C. <laughs> it's, it's Not wonderful. sticky at all? No. Oh, no. boy. And if you join uh, Crime Writers On on Patreon, if you support us there, you will have access to our after show, in which I assure you, you will get an explanation for that offhanded remark. You'll tell us more about that later. Also right? with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, and backwoods snowmobile racer, Laura Bricker. Good evening, Laura. That's me, Rebecca. I got up to 28 miles per hour today. Oh, uh, wow. on a snowmobile that felt pretty darn fast let me tell you and um <laughs> fireman can't even said i was kind of a speed racer so no. it's all a matter of perception <laughs> and finally with us this evening is our captain of woke cynicism the author behind the noir novels known as the city trilogy our very favorite doubting thomas and patreon book club host toby ball good evening toby <laughs> I, I just want to tell you, Toby, I know we're going to be talking about True Detective's finale in a couple minutes, but I did read a piece in Esquire that described the uh, resurgence of the acting career in Stephen Dorff in True Detective Season 3. And they called it... A Dorfessance. A Dorfessance. A Dorfessance? That's awesome. <laughs> Well, I just oh, want to quick, quick call back to what I was just talking about in the intro there. Um, we added yet another new benefit to our awesome and growing Patreon community. If you become a patron of Partners in Crime Media. And you join the family. Join the family. Just five bucks a month. You get all sorts of stuff. A new thing we've added at uh, patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. You will get every single week a little mini-sode of Crime Writers On called The After Show. And you don't even know, guys, it's hot. It's like the champagne room of this podcast. <laughs> the champagne wow. room. You want to get that? I wish t- I was there. <laughs> Laura, you need to support us on oh, Patreon. I am. There. <laughs> Is this like another 30-minute podcast that we have to do? Or? 30 minutes? But it's just the stuff A that, short bit, yeah. You know what? It's the stuff I cut out of this show. The, yeah. good, the good stuff. The stuff that uh, we don't want people to hear. Unless they support the show. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Remember all those uh, those outtakes you used to love at the end of the episode? Well, we still have those, but we're going to we have, do. but it's just more. It's like we, we do more and we'll talk about how we think the show went. It's actually really good. You're going to, you guys are going to like it. So, and you can be in my rage walking group. That's right. And sometimes I do live videos like right. I did today from the top of a mountain when I was a snowmobile speed racer. That's what? right. Um, you get a little insight. Into my quirky life, um, snowmobiling around the wilds of Maine today. That's right. No moose, but I was on the hunt for the moose. And of course, you can get Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcast also. So many benefits. It's just five, five bucks a month or six bucks a month if you want to be in Lara's Patreon Angry Walking Club. It's, it's worth the buck. Totally worth it. We'll make it worth your while. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. enough of the shameless plugging. One thing I wanted to chat about before we really get in earnest in the show, we got a visit this week from some very good podcast friends. I just want to debrief with you guys quickly. Laura Bricker, you finally got the opportunity to meet our friend from True Crime Obsessed, Patrick Hines, and his husband, Steve. How did your interactions with Patrick Hines go? Did he live up to your expectations? Are you still friends? Is this podcast romance continuing, or are you going to ruin it for us? Are you going to let her respond? <laughs> I, I think it's continuing because Patrick and Steve and their adorable daughter and I had such a fun time. We toured around my town of Exeter. We went on our own little rage walk together. Um, we visited the bookstore. We went out to lunch, and then they got to come to my house. They didn't get to go inside because we were in the middle of our vomitorium time. That would have ended the romance right there if Patrick and Steve had gotten sick. So we did a little sledding. Um, We had some adventures. We saw the Christmas tree pile. 
it kind of felt like I was meeting my long lost relatives, quite honestly. It kind of feels like you gave them you a tour. You, you can, but I mean, aside from the sledding part, everything else you've described, it kind of feels like you took them to shit town, Laura. You took them to see that Christmas tree pile. Oh, <laughs> oh my God, they loved it. No, they were like totally, they were like casting the movie of Laura Bricker's life when uh, they were at my house. Got I'm it. I'm telling you, it could be coming out soon. Oh, wait, and Patrick also. Got to go have a reading with my friend, the Upmarket Intuitive, when he was in town. I heard. And uh, apparently things are looking good for Patrick's podcast. That's all I'm going to say about that. Oh, no, they are. Um, She saw many good things in Patrick's future and told him to stay put and not move out of New York. So um, I think that means we're going to have more Patrick time. You, you could also it's just, very intuitive. Yeah, you could also just talk to Patrick for five minutes and he can tell you about how well his podcast it's is doing. It's called a hot reading. And you could also learn that yeah. there. I'm just saying, yeah. it's not a secret that his show is doing very well. There was some other things that Patrick can choose to share about which dead person might be following him around, and it's not Maura Murray. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. You want to know why? Well, I, speaking of Maura Murray, of course, mm. we, we all had a great time with Patrick and Steve, so let's right just now. turn the page on oh, that. Sure, we had a great right. time. Yep. We had, we had them to our house. We had a big party. It was super fun. We had a great time. Let's turn the page, because I just want to mention Maura Murray for one last moment on the show. Mm-hmm. I did put up on Twitter and Facebook, both in our group and on our page and on our Twitter account, on my personal Twitter account, a video and an illustration demonstrating the theory I mentioned two weeks ago on the show about how I believe Maura Murray just took a wrong turn and that's how she ended up in Haverhill, New Hampshire. It's getting lots of views, a lot of interest. I put up a little follow-up illustration to show exactly which intersection I think she took the wrong way. I'm just saying, Kevin, I have not solved the case nor helped this case come to any resolution. But I have, I think, solved one tiny part of it. What do you think, Kevin? I think that the folks at Garmin and TomTom, thank you for your work. Are you going to talk to Lance and Tim about this? My theory is sound, and it does not matter at all, because I, I do. I also happen to think, by the way, that the obsession How is How the wrong too, turn happened. I also think the obsession about like why mm-hmm. she was there does not matter, because I don't think it matters. But to me, it's just an easy answer to that question. And I actually worked on all the MapQuest timings today, and the timing even fits well. It's a good theory. I stand mm-hmm. by I feel like the Susan Simpson of this case, except I did not I get anyone right. exonerated, nor did I make any difference at all. Yeah. But other than that... <laughs> I think you're right. Like I said, I said the last time we talked, I have done that route many times, and it is confusing. It is. Um, anytime you get in New Hampshire... Like today, when I was on my little snowmobile excursion, I was like, I'm going to end up like Maura Murray. And I'm like, no, wait, they gave us a GPS tracker, so I'm not. But it's like you're going along, you think this is where I'm supposed to be, and you're like, maybe it's not where I'm supposed to be. Laura, are you... Are you on a snowmobile excursion? <laughs> I was on a snowmobile excursion Because you had yes, mentioned I was. it. I'm sorry. Yeah, where are you? And, <laughs> oh, and like, oh. where are you joining us from this evening? Because I, I do feel like you have dropped a couple of clues that you're not on the porch in your house in Exeter, New Hampshire this evening podcasting with us. What are you doing? I am on school vacation week, mm-hmm. and I am up north in New Hampshire on school vacation week. We're going to do some skiing. Today, we went on a snowmobile excursion. Did you? Um, <laughs> and that true. was when... <laughs> Rebecca, this know. is when I thought, thank God you guys are here because you will do a podcast about me if I disappear in the woods. <laughs> That's so right. I felt totally confident with that. And I took some pictures so they would be discovered when I disappeared in the woods. So you'd have some art. So it's not like me on a snowmobile hanging off a cliff when you put together something. It's actually a nice picture of me when I disappear. Oh, so are you giving us so, permission there you go. to use the photos that you took as the cover art for the eventual yes. podcast we make? About that time you went snowmobiling yes. with Fireman Ken and never came back? Missing Laura Bricker. That's exactly what <laughs> I'm saying. Losing Laura Bricker. Losing Laura Bricker. Oh, better yeah, alliteration. That's what I'm saying. Gotcha. <laughs> we can have some corny harp music drop in and like just get like talk to some yep. of Ken's relatives. Mm-hmm. We can could, we, we could talk to like some yep. rando who was supposed to meet Laura for like a cup of coffee and like talk about dental extractions yep. and like <laughs> had to cancel the appointment yep. after reading the article about yep. Fireman Ken. Oh, after I... <laughs> yeah, when he really needed his wisdom teeth out. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying. So I'm on school vacation week, and I'm doing some Northwoods, New Hampshire kind of activities. Now that we've gotten that cleared up, Kevin, can you please read this for me? True, True crime update! Laura Bricker, real quick. Kathleen Zellner, Stephen Avery's attorney, who of course we saw in Making a Murderer Season 2, tweeted this week that there had been some kind of event in the ongoing saga of the Stephen Avery case. Can you quickly fill us in on what is going on there in Manitowoc County in Wisconsin and the Stephen Avery case? 
Yeah, it's big. I'm just going to say Stephen Avery won uh, one of his appeals this week in terms of the uh, the Wisconsin Court of Appeals sent his case back to the circuit court. And the order is that the lower court should allow Avery to pursue a, quote, supplemental post-conviction motion. That court can either grant a new trial or if not, send it back to the appellate court who can reverse it and or grant a new trial. This is based on possible human bones found in a gravel pit near the Avery property. Good old Kathleen Zellner, um, she says these bones were not tested for DNA before they were released back to the Hallbach family, which is a violation of state law. She says the return of the bones meant the potentially crucial evidence in the case had been kept from further testing. Uh, So Avery will be allowed to introduce new evidence when he argues that the state violated the law. And these bones, they were found in a gravel pit in Manitowoc County near the Avery property. And they are supposedly Teresa Hallbach's. However, they were never actually tested. The state says the tests on the bones were inconclusive and that they could have been human or animal. And Kathleen Zellner's like, so, hey, why the hell did they give animal bones to the Hallbach family? Eh, no. So anyway, and then the best part also is Kathleen somehow intercepted this totally random voicemail about this whole case. I think someone um, left it on her issue. phone by mistake instead of on the intended yes, recipient's phone. Yes, this is phone. so fun. Yeah. So the um, prosecuting attorney, Mark, was calling Tom, the DA, and uh, actually it went to Kathleen Zellner's voicemail, and it's like, hey, Tom, this is Mark Williams. Um, I'll send you an email later today, but I don't think we should do anything or respond to her at all until tomorrow. Uh when we look into the bag and see exactly the pelvic bones are in there or not. Um, so I, I would rather not respond uh, um, until we look into the bag tomorrow morning. And then we can talk about it before we send a response. Thanks a lot. Bye. Nice dramatic reading. Wasn't that good, Kevin? Yeah, yeah I was going to drop in tape of the real voicemail, but I don't think I'm going to. I think I'm just going to leave Laura <laughs> in there. But I have to say, real Very quick. Very uh, of you. Who among us can't relate yeah. To the accidentally calling the person that you were calling to talk about instead of oh. calling the person. I have done Text that kind of thing. Yeah. Texting or what I have done this so many times where it's like, I want to say something to my sister about my mom and I accidentally text it to my mom. <laughs> right? Like who among us has yeah. not done some stupid Oops. shit like that? But wouldn't yeah. you think if you're a prosecutor and then you have to just sit there because you know Kathleen Zellner has a complicated outgoing voicemail message. You know she's like, yeah. hello. I'm Kathleen Zellner. If you haven't heard, I have successfully overturned the convictions <laughs> of 48 people. If you have a message for me and it's not something that's going to help get someone exonerated, you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> you know it's something like that. If you're a corrupt member of law enforcement calling to withhold evidence, <laughs> press two. Yeah. It's all kind of like a little James Bondy with like, here's my evil plan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, we're not going to tell her about the bones. Mouth. Yeah. 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 So basically, I mean, they had the bones. They gave them back. They didn't test them. And she found out. So I don't know. I mean, this, this, because she has a chauffeur and that's how she found out. I don't know. But I think this is exciting. What do you think the chances are that Stephen Avery will be free and Brendan Dassey will still be in jail? Oh my God! This, the chances are not—they're not, they're not uh, low. They're actually high, because only because of where they are in their appeals. That's right. Because Brendan's case went to the Supreme Court, and like he has to like—I don't know if they have—I I don't know what they're going to argue, reason, but right? if they do, they're starting at scratch because right. there's nothing more they can appeal. He's Avery's been bouncing around sort of the mid level here. But if Avery gets exonerated, let's say like he gets exonerated on the not on something procedural, but on like an actual innocence exoneration. Okay. Brennan Dassey's conviction is based on a theory of the crime that he was Stephen Avery's accomplice. Yeah. Like, I, I know, but I know that's also legal like mechanisms that make that impossible, which is the thing about it that's crazy. You would like it to be when, you know, the alpha vampire gets killed that all of the vampires <laughs> that he right. sired over the year are also freed. That's right. Get, yeah, no, like, it doesn't work like that. Wait, was that, I, I wasn't Buffy, right? That did I that? Think it, I think it was True Blood where that's that right. happened. That's right, True yeah, Blood, yes, yeah. yes. Suki? Suki. 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 Kevin has a very good impression of Bill from True Blood. Kevin. I will not apologize for loving you, Suki. (laughs) (laughs) See, Kevin, this is just another sign. You need to listen or watch, I'm sorry, Discovery of Witches, Kevin. That's why. Kevin, when when True Blood was on, Kevin used to just randomly walk around the house as Bill. And he would be like, I will not apologize for not taking out the garbage, Rebecca. (laughs) 
Uh, but Stephen Avery. <laughs> anyway, unfortunately, Toby, yeah. I think you're right. I think there is, I don't want to say a good chance, but a chance that Stephen Avery could end up getting out and Brennan Dassey would still be sitting in there. And as I think the four of us can agree and have agreed many times in this podcast, that would be the perhaps the second worst outcome of all, right? Besides the two of them just being yes. there forever. Yeah, no, I just, I mean, separate right. of Stephen Avery, I, mean, I think we all agree that Brendan Dassey uh, should not be in jail. And if you don't agree with that, you can take a leap. <laughs> because anybody thinks that That's kid right, could be in jail Rebecca. is just wrong. It's just they're just wrong. Even as a journalist who's not allowed to have opinions about things, I, I'm going out on a limb and saying if you believe that, you are wrong, 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 wrong. All right, Kevin. Moving on. Can you please read this for me? Relitigating true, true detective. detective. <laughs> I don't know how much relitigation this is going to be, but I did want to, because we've talked about True Detective Season 3 so many times in passing on this fine podcast ever since we reviewed True Detective Season 3 several weeks ago, now that the series has wrapped up for this season, I wanted to uh, perhaps relitigate it a little bit. So at the same time that Mahershala Ali... See what I did there, Kevin? Was accepting his Academy Award Sunday night. True Detective did wrap up its season on HBO. In the finale, we learn how Wayne Hayes tanked his career in 1980, saved his marriage in 1990, and solved the Purcell case in 2015. Time is the school in which we learn. Time is the fire in which we burn. The case. It's only ever the case. And it's over now. hell were you doing? My God. Just tell me what happened. As fans of this podcast know already, in our initial review of this season for Detective, Toby Ball thought it was super stupid, except for the exceptional performance of vape pitchman Stephen Dorff. And Laura, Kevin, and I all pretty much liked it, but agreed that this series has issues overall with women, and that HBO really needs to improve the audio mixing because the show's dialogue is super hard to understand. <laughs> yep. So quick spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about the finale, how True Detective Season 3 ends. So if you haven't watched it yet, check out the show notes for this episode. We'll put a note for you and you get to skip right to our final litigation and outcome and perhaps thumbs up, thumbs down of the finale of True Detective Season 3. I think you just spoiled it by saying he solves the case. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Well, he does solve the case, but he doesn't remember it. So, yeah. I think the, Wait, it doesn't the ghost of his wife solve the case. It, it's true. It's true, actually. Yeah, but then nobody remembers it. So it's see, so annoying. Well, here's my question. Can somebody, one person, you don't have to, I don't want you to have all to argue. Laura Bricker, how do you think this series ended? What do you think happened? You just said he solved the case, but didn't remember it. That's not what I took away but maybe i just wasn't watching it 100 percent. in terms of what do i think the conclusion yeah, was what so i think the conclusion was well i don't think this was i think it, when you step away from it this isn't about a crime so much as it is a character study in the three main character you know you've got the two detective characters and how they evolve and how they change throughout the series and i think that's more what we're supposed to be watching but i want the stupid crime solved so they throw us a bone and show us where julie ends up and how julie ended up there and then they just have this sort of weird random ending where wayne is like walking out of the jungle or into the jungle in vietnam and then that's the end yeah that's what i saw too <laughs> so then there's like the whole theory of, oh, was this whole show just a dream that he had while he was walking around oh, in Vietnam? No. no. I think that it was him maybe. I mean, I kind of came away with thinking like, okay, maybe something happened there that we still don't know that he's sort of trying to make up for. And this case was his chance to like redeem himself. And then when he finally had the chance to redeem himself, when he finally finds her, unfortunately, the dementia kicks in again. And... There we are again, back at the beginning, where we don't know what's going on. I don't know. I think there's so many ways you can look at it. Toby, is that what you think happened at the end of the series? That uh, I mean, we, we sort of see this scene where Julie Purcell, who we've been, you know, kind of looking for, thinking about for this whole series, or supposed to be looking for, thinking about, 
goes from being a missing kid you know, rejecting her dad's looking for her in the next timeline, you know, shoplifting in that store and then in one of the timelines. Uh, she was sold into a rich family. Then she ran away. And then she faked being dead uh, with help from some nuns and then ended up living under an assumed name in a super suburban life in which she makes cookies and gardens with her kid. Did you see that coming? Yes. <laughs> I, 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 I told you I told you exactly what was going to happen when we first talked about it, because I said, I get the bad feeling it's going to be ripping off Stieg Larsson. You did and say McDermott. that. You and it did. did. The thing that will finally, like, will break my mind is if it uh, ends up, the uh, solution is the same thing as... Uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo and a place of execution, <laughs> which is she's kidnapped to keep her from being sexually assaulted by her father. That's right. So somebody like like took her away just to, just to save her. Right, right. To save her, which is how Stieg Larsson stole from Val McDermott to make his big bestseller. So I was absolutely not surprised. Like, I think it wears its influences pretty openly. I, I do feel like it kind of ripped off like the basic you know, ending, you know, the, the whole underlying what happened. I, I don't think it necessarily rips off Tree of Smoke, but I think it gets a lot of ideas from Tree of Smoke. And I don't know if you guys have read it. It's by um, Dennis Johnson and it's a Vietnam novel, but it's, you know, one of the main characters is a LERP, you know, one of those long, long range patrol guys, just like um, Herschel Ali. And the scene where Dorf like starts hassling that guy who's like three times his size yeah. and then beats him up along with like five other bikers before being taken down by like eight bikers. That that's pretty much pulled from Tree of Smoke too. There's there's a scene that's that's similar to that. I almost talked myself into at one point when they showed that ridiculous scene where they show uh Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson and like the pedophile ring or whatever. And I was like, you know, if what's really underlying season one and season three is there's like this thing that's going on with these like very powerful people and it's sort of so obscured from like what normal people can see that the only way that you can kind of like get at it is from these really like the guy who mows the lawn, which again comes up again yeah. in uh, in this one. And so I thought, well, maybe that's like sort of what the theme is, is that you can only pick off these these really sort of tangential people and the really powerful folk get away with it. But that's not at all what happened in the end. Instead, it was, you know, exactly what I thought it had been with the one twist that the ghost of his, you know, wife was the one who actually solves it. Mm. And he like picks up on that through his dementia. So, I, you know, it was just as ridiculous and disappointing as I was fearing. So, Kevin, at the end of Project oh. Season 1, we have Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson getting together and sort of like with the wheelchair scene, like, you know, yeah, bonding. not my favorite, but yeah, okay. At the end of this season, what we get is, what, they're going to be roommates now? Stephen Dorff and Marshall Holly are going to like- I'm going to come over a couple of nights a week. Only a few nights a week with the dogs, Rebecca. I know. Bring the dogs, put like, them out back. that's- I mean, really, this well, is like an exaggerated mirror- Plot-wise, of season one, and in like a lot of those small ways, Toby's right. Maybe. Like the the lawn Maybe. mowing guy, the sort of reconciliation of the two partners. And I even remember scenes in season one, like you know, Toby was talking about that bar scene, that sort of like I done so bad that I want someone to hurt me thing. Like mm-hmm. that really was like what season one was about with Matthew McConaughey like drinking himself and like crushing the beer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was that, right? It was. Uh, it was retread. Well, I mean, maybe I. I don't know. I mean, I don't think that. I don't think it's a redo of season one, but there were a lot of the same kind of themes and and the same kind of motifs that that came up. You know, I, I think that when they tried to do, you know, they, they went from Southern Gothic in season one to L.A. Gothic, postmodern industrial Gothic, it, it didn't work. So to come back, and I think scene. And setting is a big part of all the true detectives. And so to put it in rural Arkansas yeah. and to have these three different timelines, I thought was interesting. And <laughs> it being four, or maybe if there's a bit of a fifth. But quick question for you, Kevin, because there's a lot of head faking, Kevin, where one of the storylines that we get is like this 
brokenness of Wayne Mahershala Ali's family. Yeah. And then we sort of find out, like, no, it was all fine. <laughs> right, right. I mean, right, you're thinking, again, it, it, it takes a couple of the, we, we think that the story's going to go here because the story always goes there kind of things and not do that. Yeah. Which, you know, we often say, well, that's a sign of good writing, is that we didn't expect that. And so, yeah, the head fake was that we kept thinking, we didn't see the wife in 2015, and so something bad had happened to her. Or, like, they got divorced, or she was murdered. And we don't actually not know that, but, she, you know, we know that she passed on. We never see Rebecca, either. We never see we Rebecca, right. Yeah. The only time, like, she comes up in modern day is, like, there was something about at the table where he mentions how he wants to see her. and Everyone's the, all weird about yeah, it. Everyone's all weird about everyone's it. Everyone's all sixth sense about it. Like, is she a ghost? Yeah. She dead too. Yeah, yeah, you know. And no, it was just we don't know about She's busy. We don't well, we don't know about those characters <laughs> yeah. current day situation because with his condition, he doesn't know. Right. Or he's mistaken about and it. And the whole T V storyline is just dropped. The whole T V show thing is just completely dropped like a hot potato. No, that, those are my two gripes. Is that A, we don't ever find out really what happened to Amelia, the wife of Wayne. So we have these sort of hints. We finally find out how you know, what happened in the beginning of the relationship where we see that, you know, he was demoted to desk duty because of her article at that point about the investigation. We see how they get back together. We see this one little scene where it looks like maybe she's older, maybe teaching college perhaps. And then we're like, she died, but why, how, when? We, we don't know. And then there's that whole sort of weird thing with his daughter. We don't know if that's related. And then the movie girl, I mean, we never see her again. Right. Like what happened? I mean, that seemed to be kind of like the what was driving the story forward in terms of him with his memories and rehashing it. And then poof, she's gone. Yeah. And didn't the son have an affair with her? And poof, she's gone. Right. So th- those are my two gripes. That I just felt like they were sort of like strings that just never got picked back up again. Right. And I know that that has been addressed um, in some of the online forums you know, in terms of what that all meant. But that for me was, I was frustrated. Definitely yeah, frustrated. Yeah, you, you kind of are led to believe, or at least I was led to believe, if you're going to have a neat ending and you're going to have like Stephen Dorff move in with Marshall Ali, like maybe the final scene will be them sitting on the couch together watching the TV show that they, that they showed did. us <laughs> filming them the in. dogs. Like for like half of the they series. They don't get investigation discovery in Arkansas. <laughs> well, Laurie, was really nice. I mean, the one thing that I did like is watching Stephen Dorff commune with that little... Uh, rotten dog and learning how he learned to love dogs. That was nice. dog in the parking lot? It's because oh, dogs God. don't judge him for being drunk. Toby, I mean, that Toby. That kind of the message You can that. say, oh, good, all you want because you're not a dog owner, you're not a dog person, but it can be as hackneyed as you want, but it is true that dogs do not care if you just got beat up by eight bikers after inciting a fight. They will love you anyway, and that scene was very realistic, was it not, Kevin? Even stray dogs will like you. <laughs> <laughs> Toby's not impressed. <laughs> yeah. Usually when cat, I get Toby the shit kicked out of me, there's not some random dog walking around. Also, didn't he not seem nearly injured enough after having like eight guys beat him up? Like he should yeah. be in the hospital. He was just sitting there. He's a tough guy. <laughs> the bullet in his leg. He's super tough. You could tell because he like Dwarf man. He took down a whole bunch of bikers before they finally got him. Yeah. He was smoking that vape. Despite the fact that he's like literally like a third the size of the guy. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's do what we do. Uh, let's give a quick thumbs up or thumbs down for the finale, the wrap up of True Detective season three and the series as a whole after seeing that finale. Laura Bricker. What do you think? I'm going to go with thumbs up because season two was so bad. Um, I feel like season three, we're on the way back. I did have some things, like I said, I didn't love. But overall, I I liked season three. So I'm going to say thumbs up. Toby Ball, what about you? Uh, do I even have to say it? <laughs> thumbs way yeah. down. Seriously. Toby. It's, it, it just, my most cynical take earlier on, like, ended up being true. So... It like lived totally down to all my fears. Yeah, I actually am switching my review of Trajectory Season 3. I am now a thumbs down. I think it was completely unsatisfying. Kind of stupid. The performances are so good that like you kind of laugh at them. Like for me now looking back at these earnest, wonderfully acted performances... It's just funny that they ended up in this thing that like didn't go anywhere. And even the big reveal where you find out what happened... They did it in like a minute and a half. 
after all of this buildup. Mm-hmm. It was ridiculous. So I'm giving it a thumbs down overall. What about you, Kevin? I'm a thumbs up. I liked it. I definitely thought it you know, was better than season two. Maybe not as good as season one. <laughs> is that the bar, though? That bar is pretty low on that one. <laughs> but I did like the performances of Mahershala Ali and, did I say it right? Mahershala you did. Ali. You I did. Congratulations. I went a little too fast on that one. And uh, Stephen Dorff and uh, Carmen, I don't know how to say a her jo- last name. Jogo? Yes. She'll be a big star and we will all know how to say her name next year. She's British, by the way. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Like some of the best actors. I know. You're like, you think they're like, oh, American, but they're British. Yes. You can uh, always tell, you know how you can tell a British person? They actually speak English well. they're a good well. actor. They're a good actor. <laughs> <laughs> Dorf's American. Dorf's American, yeah. All American. Well, it's the Dorfessance. Dorfessance. Yeah. No, I think it was good. And I actually kind of in- enjoyed the ambiguity of the ending and the fact that this had been about, you know, failed memories and memories in time and that that was the thing that ultimately kept the mystery from being solved was actually the faultiness of his memory. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. All right. Moving on. Wondery has unveiled its new podcast series, Over My Dead Body. Season one is called Tally, and it looks at a strange murder in Tallahassee, Florida. She never really addressed conflict. So if if he had done something to bother her, she kind of buried it. And when things go bad, they go really bad. I think he was surprised that he didn't know his wife better. She was his everything. I just look on his face like he was mad at the world. Looked like he wanted to kill somebody. Baby, you're guilty. Over My Dead Body is cut from the same cloth of many other Wondery true crime podcasts. Dirty John, Gladiator, and Dr. Death all have similar cover art, a big soundscape, and a story that is not a cookie-cutter crime take. It's a little bit like the Wonder Bread of podcast networks, maybe? (laughs) The Wonder Bread? But does Over My Dead Body share more with those binge-worthy hits than it does with the other all-too-common crime podcasts? Now, we are going to be talking about plot points for Over My Dead Body. So to remain spoiler-free on this case and this podcast, go to the time code listed in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down review. Okay, so I teased it a little bit the lead there. We've reviewed several Wondery true crime podcasts on this show. Mm -hmm. I believe I have said things like Wondery's podcasts are a little bit like the processed food of podcasts. They sort of have a specific sound, a specific formula to them. Am I the only one who thinks that this is a very good example of that sort of Wonder Bread processed food podcast product that we are getting from this network. Toby, what do you think? I th- I think I use the term vanilla. It's just vanilla is a good flavor. It, though. It's weird. Like when I was <laughs> when I was done with it, I was like, what the hell are we going to talk about? All right. And thus ends another episode of Crime Writers. On. OK. And now <laughs> well, for your favorite part of the podcast. really disturbing stuff about vanilla recently. And um, I'm, I don't even want to go down that road. Do you guys know about this vanilla thing? No, but that's not for today, Laura. That's for another time. Jesus, maybe, Laura, focus. Maybe for the, the beaver- after show. <laughs> the beavers? Okay, okay, move on. Oh, my God. Go ahead, Toby. You if were that's saying- not an advertisement for the Patreon, uh, I don't know what it is. So, vanilla. Uh, you think the podcast is vanilla, and you don't think there's anything to talk about. Is that because of the production style? Because of the way the story is told? Like, why do you think that? Well, and maybe we'll get into this a little bit more. I think there's there's a lot there to work with, but I think it's just sort of told in a way that sort of drains most of the interest out of it, mm. I guess. I mean, it's just yep. – I, I, there, there's just a variety of things, and one of them is like I kind of feel like the tone is a little weird. Like the music is a little like – more whimsical than I would expect you from think? Like a podcast about a murder. You don't think tinkly harps are appropriate for discussing like matters of life and death? Imagine that you're Dan Markell. You're on a short business trip to New York. You get a call from your wife. She tells you she's leaving you. 
you cut your trip short, you're sure you can still convince her to reconsider. Well, you know, to each his own. Um, and then, and just the way he, especially in the first couple episodes, the way the narrator is talking, I was just like, is somebody actually going to die in this? Because it, he just seems to think this is all kind of like, you know, kind of cute and making like little little remarks and stuff. A uh, really attractive young lady um, stops me and she says, I recognize you from my fiance's Friendster page. Yeah, Friendster. This was the 2000s. It was like the... Pre- I just kind of felt like they had some stuff that they could work with and they just... It wasn't put together with much imagination. Yeah, so this is my point. And, and Kevin, I'd love you just to respond to this and tell me if, mm-hmm. if you think I'm crazy. Now, I know that like the sort of business model of Wondery is like Hernan Lopez, who founded Wondery, smart guy, they just had a 50 million download month, like their biggest download month in the history of the network. Like They're doing really well. I think one of the reasons they're doing well is because they basically do the same thing over and over and over again. And I'm not talking about stories like I think Gladiator was a little different because that was a collaboration with another reporting team. I'm talking about stories like this, these sort of one-off, the here's what happened stories. Like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have sort of the reporter of the thing. But first, we have to build an image around it. We have to get, mm-hmm. we have to get our, our music package. Same beds like, to use in different parts of the podcast. We had a cool theme song. We got the art. We got to get like, what is it going to be? Mm-hmm. How many episodes is it going to It feels like the strategy and the package is built. And then the content is just like shoved in there. And it does sort of have... I mean, I would know a Wondery podcast if I heard it, if I didn't know it was a Wondery podcast. Okay. Well, it, you know what it is? Is this story is absolutely a freaking nuts story. I remember when this story broke because I always, I, you guys probably do the same thing, Kevin, Rebecca. You keep tabs of true crime stories and you're like, that's a story that would be a good book. And when this story came out in the media a few years ago, I flagged it. I think I maybe set up a Google alert. Like, that's a story that will make a good book. You've got lifestyles of the rich and famous. You've got a murder for hire. You've got a potential affair. You've got like this like kind of Florida setting down in Miami where the relative, it, it, was, it was a good, interesting story. And then the first three episodes are like the 1990s true crime book where we start with when they first right. met. Blah, like a, blah, boring, boring. Discovery ID show, right? Yeah. And it was just so drawn out and then even when someone dies you're like oh we we don't even know which one got killed yet and so finally <laughs> and finally I'm like when I finally figured out the story that this was I was like oh that's a that's a case that I followed but the first two episodes I didn't have a freaking clue because it was like so fucking boring yeah um and then once you hit like the fourth and fifth episode and we've got the maestro and you've got his girlfriend who set it up and she's getting a boob job and there's all this crazy shit and like you've got and then it just there was so much to work with and the thing was they had so much material given to them I mean I didn't realize until the fifth episode that actually these recordings were not dramatic reenactments. They actually had wiretap calls. Like what the, like that is something they could have just started off with a bang and told this story in a completely different format, but they just dragged it out in such a way that by the time all that interesting stuff happens, you probably have lost half the people. That's right. They don't tell us until episode five that what we've been hearing the whole time are recorded phone calls that are recorded by law enforcement. The host does not orient us in any way to the material. He doesn't say until like episode four, the whole reason why he's writing and is interested in this story. We have the brother of the guy they're implicating in the podcast. Charlie's brother, Rob, is getting interviewed for the podcast, but they never give any context about why it is that one of the Adelson kids would be talking about this in a podcast. They never say like... I don't know. Has he split with a family? Does he think his brother's... He didn't ever say. It's just like this matter-of-fact thing where, like, super close family. Meanwhile, here's one of the kids in the family talking about the family and just talking about it super, super matter-of-factly. Like, the context isn't there. The depth isn't there. It's like it was a package that was built and then all the pieces were just shoved in and not put together in a new way because this works for them. I will say one thing for Wondery. It works. This podcast is being downloaded right now as we record this by millions of people who are listening to it. So, like, should they invest more creative energy? What do you think, Kevin? Well, I I don't know if they feel like they're cutting a corner. I think they feel like they're, you know, taking the material that they have and doing it in a way that has worked for them in the past. I mean, I, I certainly think that 
when I look back at the books I've written, I think that you know some were better than others. I don't think it means that the ones that when I look back on that aren't as good were the ones that I didn't try hard on. You know, I just feel like sometimes when you're dealing with art, some things are better than others. And I feel like at least for what I've heard, all but one episode uh, remaining in this series, that, you know, there are other ways that it could have been structured. And I think if they were leaning too hard on the rest of the Wondery formula, that it might not have been best served by this kind of podcast. Hmm. What's the host name of the show, Kevin? Uh, I don't know. His name's Matt. Just Matt, FYI. Kevin, do you think the music in the show is stupid? Yes or no? I don't I No. I, well, uh, uh, I'm sorry. I'm not only trying to pin yeah. you down only because I feel like the things that really stick out to me is this is like, oh my God, like why this choice? Why? I'm curious that you didn't hear those things too because usually you hear what I hear and I don't feel like we're on the same page. Yeah, no, I just feel like it's unremarkable. Okay. So like vanilla, <laughs> except like vanilla. you actually yeah. like vanilla. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of the things that let's let's just talk about the story and like what is here mm-hmm. now that you know we've beaten the dead horse on the style of yeah. it. Um, this is a case where a bad divorce led to potentially a murder that involves lots of colorful characters who like to pretend they're more sort of colorful than they are, perhaps. It reminds me a whole lot of one of the books that we wrote, Kevin, does it not? Which one are you talking about? Legally Dead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sort of had a lot of those elements yeah, of yeah. like the, the motions after motions in court and how like a horrible divorce can drive yeah. one to think about Well, it murder. was lawyers. Yeah. yeah. Lawyers. Lawyers are the worst clients. <laughs> we know that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you, Rebecca, because in that case, I mean, the same thing. You had this this lawyer that was trying to use that background to kind of work the system to his advantage in the divorce case. And in the case that you guys wrote about, that worked for a long time. And people didn't believe her, unfortunately, you know, and in this case, it wasn't I think it was a little more equally split in this podcast in terms of Wendy and Dan. But it's that same sort of vibe in terms of the person coming in with that background and thinking that they are going to walk away victorious um, with the upper hand because of that background. You know, one of the things that I, you know, thought was kind of interesting is, you know, I mean, it certainly was, it's a spoiler to say who the victim is because you don't find out till the second episode. Hmm. And so that is, I know that that is a conscious choice that they made that they could have started right with, you know, body on the floor. Uh, but they wanted to set the groundwork for the relationship between Dan and Wendy. And mm-hmm. I was thinking, you know, f- through the you know the first two episodes that without knowing anything about the real case, that uh, Wendy is going to be the victim mm. because this is again kind of how it's it always is. It's like oh, the guy's like really, he's a difficult person. He doesn't see that the re- the relationship is falling apart and. I was like, oh, okay, well, he's this delusional. Is, yeah, I'm like, okay, this is going to be a short story. He doesn't want to go to cemetery only because he feels like he shouldn't have to. Yeah, yeah, you know all these. He sort of wheels. He didn't read her novel for yes. God's sake. Well, yeah. I, to be real though, when you hear about the novel, would you have wanted to read the novel? <laughs> Not gonna lie. Yeah, but but as far as you know, as a choice that that is an interesting choice. If I if I like pick it up and drop it in the middle of a true crime book, usually you know sooner what's going on, or you have an inkling of which way it's supposed to go. It was an interesting choice. Right. An awful lot of setup, though. I, I just feel like we're, we're kind of <laughs> scrabbling to find, like, interesting things to say about it. I, I, I could be <laughs> wrong. But it just, I want to talk about the maestro I, 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 and his think... boob job and his dental office. All right. Vanity plate. I love that guy. He owns multiple properties in Miami and drives a Ferrari. His nickname is the maestro. He had a... A he license. Gave himself. Yeah, he gave himself the nickname the Maestro. His friends refer to him as the Maestro. He has a license plate that says Maestro. I think it says a lot when you unironically name yourself the Maestro. Yeah, he's got a vanity license plate that says Maestro. He's also got a concealed carry permit. He keeps a gun under the seat of his car. I also want to talk about the fact that usually we have cops doing like when we listen to podcasts, not satisfactory jobs. And when you listen to what the police officers did in this case and like this elaborate like sting that they did to catch these people, (laughs) you know, they did 
quite, I mean, they had, like, all along you're thinking, oh, this is just one of the counterparts of these people out on the street trying to solicit Charlie's mom for some money. But it was an FBI agent. That's right. I mean, that was, yeah. it was some pretty good, st- I loved the investigation part, but that was like, I wanted more of that because that was really interesting yeah, it, to me. It doesn't seem like the series, like, really takes off until episode five. Which is the penultimate episode. Yeah. <laughs> you find out some of this shit that's been going on is actually the cops trying to, like, because they have figured it out. I mean, that DA lady totally has it figured out. She's like, Mm -hmm. Charlie's mom decided that, I mean, granted, just like uh, David Latt, hero friend lawyer David Latt says in episode one of this podcast, in one of the greatest moments in the history of true crime podcasting, he says, I know how libel law works, and I'm not willing to say. <laughs> Somebody finally showed some Somebody restraint. finally said that, even though, by the way, he was writing about the murder on his law blog, which is uh, super weird. Yeah. Can you imagine, like, Colin Miller letting his law blog get taken over by, like, some person he knows, knows like, their divorce case? Like Bob Blah Blah? <laughs> Bob Blah Blah. Bob Blah Blah. How about the fact that we get to hear somebody else's podcast in this podcast? That's <laughs> true. Yeah. 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 So I do. Also, think... I didn't know boob jobs were that cheap. I mean, I'm, I'm <laughs> in, in Miami. Miami. Come on, I, I was like, wow. Like, you got a boob job on every 8, corner. I Listen. thought it'd be more than that. Every Seven yeah. Eleven's got a boob job place. Yeah, but not from Doctor Boober. Lara Bricker. So, like, you know, I have to know like where you are, and like based on what people do there, like. The, the economy changes. So in New York, you can get a really great pedicure for 15 bucks. In New Hampshire, it's $60. Yep. Like, there's an economy. Not a lot of people here do that. So it's like supply okay. and demand. Okay. So it's like legalized marijuana yeah. in Colorado is cheap now. So boob jobs <laughs> in Miami are cheap now. And, okay. In some places in the right, country, like, boob reductions are all the thing. And it just sort of, it all balances out in the end. Okay. What are you going to say, Toby? <laughs> you know, just as we've been talking, I've just been thinking, like, it would have just been so easy... To, you know, I mean, even just off the top of my head, like start with, you know, when uh, Wendy finds out that what's his face was killed and then her reaction. <laughs> remember his name. Dan. The victim. Dan. Yeah. His name is Dan, Dan. Markell. Yeah, Dan. yeah, that was great tape. Dan Markell. Dan. And then I think you can yeah. start from there. And then it's just like, what the hell's, you know, and, yeah. and, and that seems like a pretty typical like not weird thing for an ex-wife to be super upset that her ex-husband was murdered. And then you can kind of from that, you know, start to explore these different threads of the story. Uh, But the way they did it just seemed to, I don't know. Her reaction seems sincere, right? It was so unimaginative. Yeah. No, I don't think she know that Charlie did it. The podcast- Or even that Dan was dead. Listen, the podcast in no way implicates her. And I I, I do think that the family plot, it seems very likely, was outside of her like Mm -hmm. sphere. Right. Yeah. I do have to say, though, there is one thing that like I would never say if somebody were to ever say to me that like somebody that I knew had been murdered. Mm -hmm. The one thing I would never say to police that sounds super weird on tape is- Oh, he had so many people who didn't like him. It could have been any of them. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that is a suspicious-sounding fucking thing to say, even Mm, if it's totally sincere. Because it immediately sounds like you're trying to say, like, look over there. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. You better cast a wide net, dude. It's not just me. (laughs) Well, it sounds like in this case, that whole, I mean, see, this this is what's frustrating. There are interesting sidelines. We hear about Dan Markell's work with like yeah. the Orthodox Jewish Mafia in New York, which is oh, great, oh, by the way. that was yeah. crazy. It's awesome, like This American Life episode about that that I highly recommend people look up and listen to. It's sort of these divorces and these communities. What was the bananas. name of that guy again? The yeah. Prod Father. The Prod Father, yes. The Cattle Prod Father. The Prod Father, yeah. that was it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have that, that storyline. That was so fascinating. You have that. You have sort of like the whole... By the way, I don't know anything about Tallahassee, but I don't think it's like super bad place, right? They make it sound like it's not like living. It's in not a, Miami, is like, what they're saying. Yeah. I mean, Rob, the older brother, lives in Albany, which I can say from personal experience is a super shitty place. Sorry, I'm, Albany. Sorry, Albany. If any of our listeners are there, but like, as far as places, would you rather be in Albany or Tallahassee? I don't know. Ask Toby. He's doing a reading at the Albany Public <laughs> Library next weekend. I don't know. That's right. I yeah, think there's please. less snakes in Albany. You know I what? go for Albany. Toby. Troy, New York, a hundred percent worse than Albany. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> As far as this case goes, I mean, it feels like it's got six episodes worth of material, not ten. And so yeah. six episodes seems to be about right. And it seems to be like, you know, that all of the 
and I just feel like it's arranged in a way that doesn't let the story go. Mm. You could have 50 podcasters in here and you ask them, like, how should this start? And, like, if you give them all the same material, and they'll come up with 50 different ways. And maybe somebody says, you know, like, you don't, you know, you do the you do the shooting, like, right off the top, or you start with the tape, or you do, you know, you do what they did, and we don't, we don't even know somebody dies until an hour into this whole thing. But, but, you know, but you know what's disingenuous? But I just don't feel like the choices made here make this feel binge-worthy. Right. That people say, like, oh, I'm I'm binging on this completely. And I'm like, oh, all right. Well, I just, I don't get that. What's disingenuous is, so for instance, we hear a super interesting, like a, a lot of great tape in here, especially because mm-hmm. the police did all this phone tapping. There's a phone call between Charlie, who... I'm sorry. I know he has not been charged, but the podcast points to him like completely orchestrating this thing. And his mom, yeah. right after he meets with the ex-girlfriend who was the girlfriend of one of the shooters and like meets with her and then calls his mom and they have a call which 100% sounds like they're in on it together. And the mom is saying like, you know, we were going to take care of this. I thought we were going to take care yeah. of this. And you're like, there's no way. And then the podcast does this dumb thing where it's like, well, it sure sounds like maybe they're talking in code. <laughs> and then, or the podcast just doesn't some wink like there's any doubt. Like Bonsai, Potbelly Pig. Yes. Like by, by, yes. by the time you've played that tape, like, guys, we get it. Don't pretend like it's ambiguous. Like you've tried to take us in this journey where this is supposed to be a surprise. You surprise us with it. And then there's like this backpedaling thing like, well, perhaps Donna knew more about this than we... It's like, no, duh. Like, we're with you. You don't have to like do the exposition. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's cheap. There's like a cheapness to it. Like, I don't know. It reminds me of like the worst of investigation discovery, frankly, is kind of what oh, it reminds me Oh, I don't think it's that bad. <laughs> no, I My think goodness. they're trying... To, you know what? I think they're trying to be careful legally because she hasn't been charged and Charlie hasn't been charged and... They yeah. have to kind of, it's like cover your asses. Like they can't come right out, even though we can hear it and be like, <laughs> these people are totally orchestrating this. They can't really come out, you know, you know, these people might, who knows, they could be next. The podcasters could have the hit put out on them. I mean, I don't know. Right. Um, right. They have to be careful, I guess. Because Dirty John and Aaron Hernandez are already dead. Right. And Dr. Death is in jail. And so yeah. it, it certainly gives them some editorial freedom and flexibility but yeah here's a case too right where it's essentially unsolved well one know? one quick question about one of the sources in this podcast in episode 5 we hear from a guy whose only purpose in this podcast <laughs> I love this guy is that he had a dentist appointment with Charlie uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> At the in, by the way, the fact that the dental office is called an institute is fucking hilarious to yeah, me. Yeah, like, yeah. who calls their company an institute? We're going to be the podcast institute from now on. Anyway, he had a dentist appointment to get his wisdom teeth out, and then he read the paper and was like, oh, "My periodontist is involved in a murder." <laughs> so he scheduled an appointment to have them removed. Literally the night before. He caught an article online about Katie's arrest. Just gave a brief mention of the person having an affiliation, a woman that was being arrested having an affiliation with the Dr. Adelson. Okay, well, that's strange. Adelson doesn't seem like a common name, and that just happens to be my name of my dentist, a doctor in, in South Florida. So that caused me to, to Google uh, more information about the case. He told his wife, Pat, what he'd found online, and she was just as shocked. And then he was like, yeah, but I don't really know. I mean, I would still go there to get my teeth out. And then he says something like, well, before you contacted me to be in this podcast, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, why did they contact him to be in this podcast? What we really need is a patient. What we really need is somebody who had an appointment and wasn't able to make that appointment because... They read well, a newspaper did article. Name? Did they? We need someone to go undercover. Uh, you, it, it kind of feels like some producer was like, "Oh, one of my Facebook friends. I think that was his dentist. We should talk to that right. guy." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, what is? But like I feel with your bad. Gums? I mean, because this happened in like what 2016 or something, yeah. and he still hasn't got his wisdom teeth. Oh, yeah. I'm a little. I'm feeling kind of bad for him. Freddie? I mean, Richard. I know. Richard? I don't know. What was I his waited. Name? I the waited guy. to get my wisdom teeth out, and you can have nerve damage if you. Wait too long. He needs to get his teeth out. So the point is, 
he's using an assumed name to protect his safety. Yes, but his wife is and, Pat. And his wife is Pat. <laughs> Which they just say. <laughs> Maybe they made that name up too. But he's like, I, I suddenly fear the person who's going to be putting their hands in my mouth. But you totally give so much information, they completely know who it is. <laughs> right. You know, the guy who came in and needed the wisdom teeth attraction and he, on that day, like he's, that's the wrong person to piss off. He's, he's going to lie back in the chair and the doctor's going to be like, is it safe? And then he is makes a hilarious analogy about like him giving his dental money to the dentist is the same as taxpayers paying taxes for wars that we don't agree with. Oh my God. <laughs> the fuck? The fact that we're having this conversation about this podcast is like deeply indicative of something. <laughs> I don't know. We spend the most time on any single person talking about this random, you know, dental patient who's going under an assumed name <laughs> to protect his gums. Who was probably the Facebook friend of a producer yeah. of this stupid podcast. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Thumbs up. Who wouldn't love this? It's very popular. People in our Facebook group seem to like it, and that's why I should See, review it. The thing I find most interesting about this podcast is the fact that it is popular, and I cannot for the life of me figure out why anybody would choose this over you know, a dozen other true crime podcasts that are going on right now, too. Like, why is this number one? Well, yeah, it's because yeah. one, I mean, let's be real. The reason is why. It's because Wondery has an incredible marketing department. Yeah. They have a relationship with yeah. Apple where they can get their podcast right on the top of the page. They are selling these shows before they launch with millions of dollars worth of ads in them. I guarantee every single true crime store we get from Wondery already has a movie deal in place mm-hmm. or a television development deal. Like, this is a machine. This place is a machine. They are very successful. I am not shitting on their business model. I'm just saying they do not make good podcasts. Mm. Except for Gladiator was very good. Like the podcast where they, oh, they partner with people. they have made good podcasts now. Come on. They've also hosted good podcasts. Like yeah. The Accused was hosted on Wondery. Like uh-huh. as a production company. Dirty John was a good podcast. Dirty John was an okay podcast with a fantastic story is what it was. Mm-hmm. But it was really just two ways with family members. It was not a quote great podcast. Let's be real. Well, this yeah, is a, a good, good story listen, if they told it in a different way. I mean, this is a really bonkers and bananas in Rebecca language story. Mm. They just started it in the wrong place. Well, let's do what we do. Let's do a little round robin, shall we? Uh, and for our listeners who have fast forwarded to this point, I invite you, after you've listened to Over My Dead Body and Judge for Yourself, you should go back and listen to our very thorough, detailed, and point-by-point review of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we really do an excellent job breaking down the journalism. There's a lot there. Uh, Laura Bricker, what do you think of Over My Dead Body, season oh. one? Tally, thumbs up or thumbs down? I'm going thumbs sideways. Sorry, Patrick. Um, because uh, this story and this particular murder case is a fascinating case. And I definitely wanted to know more about this case. And we've got access to things like wiretap phone calls between the main characters, You've got, you know, access to some of the family members. Episodes four and five, I really liked. Episodes one, two, and three, not so much. So, uh, you know, it's an interesting story. If you want to know more about this story, you can kind of speed up the first three episodes and then get to four and five. That's where things really get interesting is episodes four and five, where they actually get past kind of the boring, what I call backstory part of this. And you actually realize that they've got some pretty interesting tape of the main characters in the story. You're basically eavesdropping on them, which is like my fantasy all the time to Mm. eavesdrop on people. So I did enjoy that part of the podcast. (laughs) Joey Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Over My Dead Body, season one, Tally. Thoughts? Uh, This is a two thumbs down podcast for me. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I just, you know, it's not like a huge thumbs down because it's just like totally inoffensive and... But it's, uh, you know, I just don't know why you would choose this over like a whole bunch of other things that are more interesting. Yeah, I'm also a thumbs down. I just can't. I just can't. And I actually don't even agree that this case is super interesting. I think this is a case of a shitty rich family. I don't want to say they're all shitty. I'm sure some of them are lovely people. This is a case where some really privileged rich people 
had a problem and wanted to throw some money at it and solve it and that solving it resulted in somebody's death and that's very sad and there was a victim here and there was a victim's family here but this is not remarkable it's not super interesting it's about not so great white people acting badly and then bad things happening and i feel like that is the basis of so many mainstream investigation discovery 2020 48 hours true crime stories i don't find this particularly compelling i don't think it holds up to five episodes and it's so poorly put together and poorly written and hackneyed and the music is dumb and i just can't i'm a big thumbs down on this podcast what about you kevin i'm a very tepid thumbs up i mean there's really i feel like there's there's nothing wrong with the journalism um I think most of my problems with it have to do with taste as opposed to structural deficiencies with the story. It's an interesting story. I think I'm going to probably – it's one more episode to go, so I probably will stick around – check it out because I'm kind of interested in what happens. But I don't know. It just something about it just isn't clicking. It's it, I don't find it a draw in the way some other true crime podcasts are. So I think it's it's okay. It's like it's like you said it's vanilla, and shouldn't be on anyone's top ten list. But it's you know it's, it'll be there though. I guarantee it'll be on some top ten lists because Wondery has that power. They too. <laughs> now who's the conspiracy theorist? Oh please, you know how that works. <laughs> I don't. If I did, I would give them a call. It was okay for a road trip when I listened to it because I was half listening, half driving. I was kind of like, yeah, okay, you know. So I agree with you, Kevin. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the the week. week. The scene of the crime, a Chinese restaurant in Huntsville, Alabama. The motive? Seafood. Two people are under arrest after a melee broke out at the Meteor Buffet. Patrons had to wait for 10 minutes for the staff to replenish the supply of the juicy crustaceans. It seems diners couldn't wait for all that buttery Alaskan king crab and snow crab goodness. Once the legs came out, so did the claws. People were cutting the line, taking more than what would be considered an appropriate portion in polite society. A fight broke out and we're not making this up. People began fencing with buffet tongs like they were swords. <laughs> Plates were shattered. Food was spilled. Friendships were lost. An old man got a laceration on his bald head. Fortunately, an off-duty police officer was there to break it all up. Here you go, panel. It's a good thing this law enforcement official was on the scene to restore the peace. What could have happened if this food fight had been allowed to continue? Laura Bricker, what do you think? I think there might have been some anaphylactic shock if somebody got in there that, you know, got in the melee and the crab claws came out. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't think I would do this for the crab claws. I might do this for the scones at the store up the street from me. Right. Um, But yeah, I mean, who knows where this could have gone? I definitely think the crab claws would have come into it. What do you think, Toby? What could have happened at this crab claw fight if law enforcement had not been there? What could have happened if the food fight had been allowed to continue? Uh, prawns at 20 paces. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Kevin? What could have happened if this food fight had been allowed to continue? Oh, yeah, definitely two women ledges to the eye. <laughs> I kind of so think... would throw a, a trident, a guy in fire would walk through, and, <laughs> and elevate it quickly. All right, Laura Bricker, before we wrap up the show this week, do we have a cat of the week this week? <laughs> We do. It comes from one of our regular listeners, Wendy. I know she's always tweeting at me about cats, and she sent us a nice email about her cat, Quidditch. He first has a great name, and second, he's almost 21 years old. Best guess. He could be older than that. He could be the world's oldest cat. Um, 20 years ago, he was picked up by the local police after being hit by a car, brought to the Humane Society. She happened to be a volunteer. He was dirty. He had no microchip. They didn't know how old he was. They said they would assess him, and if injuries were too great, he was going to have to be put to sleep. However, Wendy's partner had just told her earlier that day she made $5,000 in the market. I'm assuming that's stock market. (laughs) So Wendy said, hey, guess what? We're going to save this cat. And guess what? $6,000 later, 
Quidditch was patched up. They had to amputate his front leg, making him a tripod. They also had to chop off the ball of his femur. Oh, my Lord. Anyway, he's a wonderful cat, super affectionate. He likes to eat Greek yogurt, and he is very cute. They sent me lots of pictures. It reminded me, I just have been watching this show on Netflix. I don't know if anyone else has seen this. It's probably not in this crowd. Kitten Rescuers? Nope. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) Toby! Oh my God, it's the best show. It combines everything I love. Have you? It's the British rescue show, Toby. I know you. Oh no, it's the best. And it's like, it's like British cat rescue and and I love it. But they just amputated a leg on that show as well. So um, nice job, Quidditch. And that's why you win this week. I just have a follow-up question. This cat was rescued 20 (laughs) years ago with a $6,000 vet bill. What would that be like in today's vet yeah. bill dollars? That would be yeah. like twenty thousand dollars. Eighteen thousand dollars. But yeah, good for oh, wait, you. they charged him extra. After this, this is the part they charged them extra because they had to neuter him. Hey, we neutered him. <laughs> so even though they How come they didn't name this cat Lucky? <laughs> wait, so this is so yeah. this cat owner is Wendy. This isn't like an Adelson. Is it? It's not like Wendy Adelson and her rich family, is it? No, this Just isn't. Checking. No, no, this is Wendy. I feel like she lives somewhere. Um, I want to say she lives somewhere near like Missouri. I know she's tweeted at me a lot. Wendy's one of our regular Twitter followers. Well, um, why don't we take this to the after some show? Lovely pictures. Well, Wendy is doing uh, God's work because anybody who would spend six thousand dollars in nineteen ninety nine dollars. <laughs> And a cat they didn't even know is a saint. So good for you, Wendy. All right. Laura Bricker, people want to send you online on Twitter, perhaps, the stories of their very, very old ass pets to be cat slash dog slash iguana. They can be young, too, of the week. How can they find you on Twitter? At Lara Bricker. And Tony Ball, people want to reach out to you and get more of your amazing impression of the dialogue on True Detective. How can they find you on Twitter? You know what they can do is uh, listen to Stealing Nixon's Millions podcast mm, okay. uh, and then tell me how much they like it at Toby Ball and H. And Kevin Flynn, people want to reach out to you and just say hi. How can they find you online? I'm at Bona. <laughs> Get the after show, patreon.com slash partners in crime media and you will have some context. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you strenuously to join the amazing interactive community on our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Our theme song was performed by the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our basement that's actually an institute where we perform wisdom tooth instructions every single day. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks for listening. We will catch you later. Can I get access to Patreon without signing up, by the way? No. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You have to support us at the $20 level. I I will. Like, I'll sign up Fireman Ken to support us. Or I can just, (laughs) you can sign up and I can just give you the $5 back every month. Well, there you go. I think that would be the way to do it because then you would be able to get the experience of what it's like for people who are outside. Isn't that like unethical to have straw members? No, we're not Mike (laughs) Boudet. <laughs> Is that really how it's how it's pronounced? So apparently, you know, we we, we pronounced it like the New Hampshire way, which would be Baudet, because that's how right. it would be. Because people yeah. in New Hampshire don't give a shit yeah. about their actual French pronunciations. It is Boudet. But in when French, in French it, is, it would be Baudet, not Boudet. Baudet? In French, it would be Baudet. <laughs> so he has this, this weird... This really feels like a bidet to me. He actually. has this weird mangled pronunciation, yeah. Boudet, which I was... People pointed John out to David me on, Boudet. On, on Twitter. <laughs> And then somebody was like, you could have figured that out in like two seconds. He says his name at the beginning of every Sword and Scale episode. And then I was like, but then I would have to listen to one minute of a Sword and Scale episode, (laughs) which I will not do. That's a download. Yes. And to be honest, you did watch all of True Detective and you still don't know. Mahershala Ali. Mahershala Ali. Oh, I can say it now. I can say it now. And by the way, Mahershala, Mike Boudet is no Mahershala Ali. No. Partners in crime media. media.